my dad, some of your dad as well, Dad would have been 90 this year, which is kind of hard to imagine what that would be like, a 90-year-old Shorty Hammond running around. Uh, that sounds a little, a lot to take in. I remember when I first started to drive, Dad told me about his first car. He had bought it sometime in the early to mid-40s. And keep in mind... <laughs> Keep in mind, he was not of driving age yet, and so he and his brother Ben went together to buy this car. Now, Ben was three years older than Dad, and so Ben's job was to drive the car, and Dad, being mechanical and all, his job was to maintain the car. And for those of you who knew my father, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, well, that had to work out great, but it didn't, no. Um, as you can imagine, that did not go over really well. And, and keep in mind, this was also during World War II, and you could not buy new tires during World War II. So Dad somehow managed to locate a very good set of used tires. He managed to, to locate a very, very good set of, of used tires uh, with really good tread on. He was really proud of those tires that he had bought one morning, one Saturday morning, he got up to discover that his brother Ben had taken the car out with some friends the night before and had kind of gone on a joyride, and the tires didn't look too good. I don't know if they were flat, I don't know if they were bald, but Dad was not happy. And you know, towards the end of his life, there wasn't much that he could remember but I think if you had prompted him, he could tell you with clarity how he felt about that particular problem. And I guess I was young enough that I really didn't understand. I thought, you know, what, what does a war happening on the other side of the world have to do with whether or not a kid in Westfield, Illinois can get a new set of tires? I understand now it was because of the total war effort. Everything that we produced in those days, everything that we produced went into supporting the war, whether that was rubber, whether that was steel, whether that was copper, whether it was food. You know, your granddaughter says she likes Taco Tuesday, right? Who doesn't love Taco Tuesday? But back then, they voluntarily did meatless Mondays. People would have meatless Mondays where they would voluntarily give up meat one day a week so that the soldiers on the other side of the world could be fed. Winning was that important. So important that a kid from Westfield would have to scrounge for used tires, give up meat on Monday, save and, and, and scrimp and save, and think to themselves, I'm doing my part. I don't know that we could have that kind of total commitment to a cause today. I don't think we could experience total war in our day and age. We're too divided. We're too individualistic. I want what I want, and I want it now. I want it when I want it. But when I look at the book of Acts, and I hear Jesus' call to the church, and I see how the believers responded, I see something that I can only describe as total effort, total commitment. In chapter 1, Jesus calls his disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In chapter 2, it says of those believers that they were of one accord, that they were all together and they had everything in common. 
In chapter 4, we're told that they were of one heart and one soul. The work of the church demands total commitment. It is essential that each one of us be able to say, I'm doing my part. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, we see that total commitment requires finding new ways to work together. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 today. We're going to be in verses verses 1 through 7 of Acts chapter 6, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Last week we were in Acts chapter 5, and in Acts chapter 5 we saw the story of Ananias and Sapphira. There was conflict because of Ananias and Sapphira. These two people who had chosen to lie to the church and found out that they were actually lying to God. Chapter 6 begins with conflict again, but it is a completely different kind of conflict. Chapter 6, verse 1 begins, Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay. Who are the Hellenists? That might be a question we've got to answer right off the bat. Who are the Hellenists? Who are the Hebrews? We kind of get an idea of who the Hebrews are, but Hellenists, that might be a new word. Hellenists were Jews. They were Jews. They were Jewish, but they had adopted a Greek lifestyle. And so the Hellenists, they had Greek names. They dressed like Greek. They spoke like Greeks. They came from the Greek side of town, the Greek side of Jerusalem. But the church is continuing to grow. We see that in every chapter. The church continues to grow. And by chapter 6, the church has grown into that Greek side of town. And suddenly the Hellenists have become part of the church. And as the church grew, it included them. But they felt like their needs weren't being met. Back in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, it's there that we read, and all who believed, all who believed, were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. From the very beginning, a hallmark of what the church did was that they cared for those of their own, for those who were in need. From the beginning, well, in the beginning, that care was kind of easy because everybody knew everybody else. Everybody recognized everybody else. If you didn't know that person, you at least knew their name, you knew their face, they, they looked like you, they talked like you. But now the church is growing, the church is expanding. And these new people, they dress different, they have different names. I can't remember all of those weird names. They, have, they, they dress different, they look different, and they talk funny. They got weird accents. They talk funny on that side of town. And what might have been a very innocent matter You know, they were providing food for the widows in the church who had no one to care for them. What might have been a very innocent matter that, well, we didn't know no one was taking care of the widows. We didn't know that that wasn't being taken care of, that that, that someone was being overlooked. But it feels, it feels like neglect. It feels like they're being slighted. I used to work at a lumber yard many years ago. Long, long time ago. Far, far away. You wouldn't have heard of it. Long, long way away. I used to work at a lumber yard. And uh, one of my jobs at the lumber yard was to stock paint. It was one of the things I did. Now, paint comes in gallons, right? But those gallons come in cases of four. So a case of paint weighs four times as much as a gallon of paint. I can do that math right there, okay? I can take care of that. 
we stored the gallons of paint upstairs. And so when we'd get a new shipment in, my job was to run all the paint upstairs, and when we would have to restock the shelf, my, my job was to bring the paint back down. It, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of running. It was a lot of lifting. It was a lot of hustling. But one of the things that I appreciated, and I really do, this is something I'll never forget, Charles. On every case of paint, there was a word printed on the top, and the word was team, T-E-A-M, team. And underneath the word team were four words, together each accomplishes more. You get it? Team, together each accomplishes more. And I really appreciated that. I mean, that meant a lot to me when I saw that. Because what I realized was, you know, the more paint I can move, the more paint I can order in and the more paint I can move, the more paint we can sell. The more paint we can sell, that's the more people whose houses are getting painted. Whether that's a contractor who is doing the work or whether that's a, you know, a poor husband who's on the weekends, his wife gives him a honeydew job and he's got to paint the house. But the more people, the more paint I can move, the more people we're painting houses, the more paint we would sell, the more people were happy in their beautiful homes. Together, each accomplishes more. That one little job that I was doing was part of something much bigger. That's a lot like what's happening here in, in Acts chapter 6. You continue on in verse 2. And the twelve, that is the twelve apostles, they summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Give us seven men that we can turn this responsibility over. That we turn it over to them, and we will all work together. There's an old story, it's older than me anyway, of President Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, touring NASA in 1961. He's touring the NASA facility. And as Kennedy is going through NASA, he's meeting all the people that work there. He met the engineers, and he talked to them about what their jobs were. He met the flight controllers, and he talked to them about what their jobs were, introduced himself to the flight controllers. He met the astronauts, of course, and he got to talk to them about their jobs. And the story goes that as President Kennedy was walking down the hallway, there was a man, a janitor, mopping the floor as he was walking through. And Kennedy, being Kennedy... He stops and introduces himself to the janitor, like he had to introduce himself to the janitor. But he talked with the man, and after a while, President Kennedy asked him, so what's your job here? And standing there holding his mop and looking proud, that janitor said, Mr. President, I am helping put a man on the moon. You know, I love that story because that guy got it. He understood together each accomplishes more. Total commitment requires working together. For the early church, someone had to make sure that the widows were receiving the, the, the food allotments. But in doing so, together, each accomplishes more. And Jesus is lifted up all the more. Total commitment requires that we find new ways to work together. And it requires that each one of us commit to growing in doing our part. To growing in doing our part. The realization hits the apostles in, in verse 2. It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Now, I want you to hear that very carefully. They are not saying that that work is beneath them. They are not saying that that work is, is menial and they shouldn't have to do it. That, that work is, of sharing the food was vital to the church, to who the church was. 
but it's not what Jesus had called them to do. These men had spent three years with Jesus being trained to lead the church. Jesus calls them to be witnesses. They were trained to preach and teach and lead the church and help other people find their calling as well. Part of leadership is helping others find their calling. Part of leadership is helping others find ways to serve. Now, I want to be honest with you. This is something that I have, I have always struggled with this. It's something that I, I continue to struggle with. Because honestly, far too often, it, it is just easier for me to do it myself than to find somebody else who will do it. Sometimes I ask people, would you mind helping? Could, could we get you to help do this? Oh, I, I don't think I could do that. I, wouldn't want to, I don't think I want to do that. Well, guess who ends up doing it? A lot of times it's just the people who are already serving. Or sometimes I end up doing it myself. And I have to remind myself over and over again, that's not teamwork, right? That's not how a team works. Together, each accomplishes more. And that's exactly what the apostles do here. Verse, verses 3-6. through six, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicantor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. They prayed and laid their hands on them? They're essentially... This is meals on wheels, okay? This is just meals on wheels. But, but it's worthy of, of praying and the apostles, the twelve, should lay their hands on them and set them apart and equip them and empower them for this ministry? You bet it is. Because it's service. It, it, is, it is a service. It's a way to serve. This is a calling. They were called. Hands were laid on them. They were ordained. They were chosen. They were empowered. They were commissioned to serve. And the church recognizes these men, these seven names, these seven men on that list, that's, that's their ministry. That's what they're going to do. You know, there's always that feeling when you do start something new. There's always that feeling when you start something you're not comfortable with. That feeling of being uncomfortable. That, that you're out of your element. There's always those questions when you first start. Well, what if I mess up? What if, I, what if I mess up? What if I do it wrong? What, uh, because reality is I have no idea what I'm doing. But you know, the, the goal is never perfection. And some of us who feel like we do things almost perfectly, we need to hear that the most. The goal is never perfection. The goal is involvement. And so any, any involvement is worthy of encouragement because involvement leads to competence and competence leads to accomplishment and when you have accomplishment you find yourself growing in the way you serve and maybe even growing in new ways to serve you're more adept you're more confident you're growing in your service and maybe even try something new this past wednesday and thursday this place was packed with people there were people all over the place here wednesday and thursday i think marietta said she counted 14 14 people that came and, and served during our church work days. Faye was here. Donna was here. Lynn and Bob were here. Bob and Marietta were here. Danny and Cindy. Susie was here. So many others were here. And everybody took a job. 
You know, some people were cleaning tables. Joy was cleaning tables. I saw her. She was a blur cleaning those tables. I took a picture of Joy, and it turned out to be a blur. So I was like, Joy, you're moving too fast. It's just blurring. I can't see it. Uh, but some people were cleaning tables. Some people were wiping down the pews. Uh, a couple people, Marietta came back the day after. Uh, you remember a few of our uh, Christmas Eve wax incidents? <laughs> incidences? Uh, those have been cleaned up. You know, we finally got a lot of that cleaned up and, and taken care of. Not everybody could do the same thing. Not everybody could get up on that tall ladder with Bob Webb and, uh, and wash the top window. I don't think that would have been a good idea if everybody had gotten up there with Bob and, and washed the window. No, that, Bob was good on his own up there. But that window out front has been washed and cleaned. It's beautiful. Others of us were washing windows on the ground, right? You know, Linda and Doug and me, we were washing windows. Not everybody could do that. Not everybody could sweep the floors and sweep the rugs. Not everybody could do that. Not everybody could stand back there at the snack table and try every single chip and dip, but doggone it, I did my part. And it was beautiful. It was amazing to watch everyone work together. You know why? Because together, each accomplishes more. Not just more cleaning, more fellowship, more friendship, more lifting up Christ together. And that's what happens when we serve together. When we serve together, we lift up Jesus together. And because team, together each accomplishes more, when we serve, there are new blessings that we never would have imagined in the first place. Verse 7 wraps up this story for us and gives us the results. Verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's the results. And some of those results were expected. Some of those results were even planned for. Again, if you go back to verse 2, it's in verse 2 that the apostles say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. And then he tells them to choose the seven, and they say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so they turn that work of caring for the widows, they turn that over to the seven, and verse 7 tells us the Word of God continued to increase well that was the plan right that's exactly what they expected to happen but look at what else happens in verse 7 the end of verse 7 says and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith the priests where did that come from how did that happen you know the priests that would be those of among the same crowd who in chapter 3 told Peter and John, you are not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, and you're not going to go around healing people in the name of Jesus. We're not going to let you do that anymore. And then here in chapter 6, a great number of the priests become obedient to the faith. They never could have predicted that. They never could have imagined that would happen. But as we serve, new possibilities arise. And you know, you see that with the seven themselves. Uh, verse 5 gives us their names, the names of these seven men. By the way, these names that you're reading in verse 5, those are Hellenistic names. Every one of them was from that side of town. They're all Hellenistic. Uh, they, not only had a, they not only had a desire to serve, they had a love for that community. They had a love, you know, talk about James Shahabi having a love for those of the Muslim community. These people had a love for that community. 
and they were coming over to, to, to serve. There was an affinity for that ministry there. The first one named is Stephen, and we're told of Stephen that he is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Stephen's job was to take food to the widows in the church. But in the very next chapter, chapter 7, Stephen is preaching. He's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Sadly, by the end of chapter 7, Stephen is stoned. He is killed. But his death leads to Jesus calling the man who orchestrated his killing, a man named Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes known as the Apostle Paul. Philip is also listed among the seven. Here, Philip is waiting on tables. But in chap- two chapters later, two chapters later, he's called Philip the Evangelist. He is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Philip is the one who fulfills Jesus' call. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Two chapters later, Philip goes to Samaria. In part because Stephen has been killed and they're wanting to get out of town. (laughs) But he goes to Samaria and he shares the gospel. That wasn't his job. His job was to serve tables. His job was to distribute food. But do you remember what Jesus said? If you're faithful in the little things, you can be faithful with the bigger things. If you start with the little things, you can do the bigger things as well. That's how we grow, by finding those few things to be faithful in now. Do you want to see how God can use you? Do you want to see what's next? Then find a place to serve today and then see where He leads you from there. You know, the cranes are going to be leaving us soon. Amy and John and the kids are moving in just a couple of months. They're going to be leaving us. They have a love for the youth of this community. Not just the youth of this church, but they have an incredible impact on the youth of this community. Who's going to care for the kids? Who's going to care for the youth group? Who who wants to step up and do that after the cranes are gone? Who wants to take care of that? Who wants to be a worship leader also? Because Amy's not going to be able to be here to lead worship. We're going to need more worship leaders. We're going to need more people who will, who will share in worship leading. It's not that hard of a job. I mean, I've had to do it a few times myself. Dave and Chad, well, actually Dave and Grace today sitting back there, they would love to have more people that would want to run the audio and video back there. And honestly, it's not that complicated, is it? It's essentially just pushing a few buttons, remembering which buttons to push. In fact, it is easier now than it has ever been before because we got a, we got a new setup back there a, a while back. Let me give you one better. You see this iPad? This iPad keeps the live stream running. For those of you who are watching the live stream, it's all about this iPad. I need someone who will just hold it. That's all you've got to do. Just hold it and make sure it stays connected and occasionally you've got to tap the screen in one spot or another spot. It is crazy easy to do and i shouldn't be up here holding this and doing this along with everything else it is a very easy job to do but something as simple as that enables us to serve together to lift up jesus together and together each accomplishes more some of you i'm sure watch the tv series undercover bosses have you ever seen undercover bosses yeah, a few of you watch Undercover Bosses. You know, the, the CEO of a company will disguise himself as a menial employee, and he goes out and does the worst job or one of the low-level jobs in the company, and he finds out what that job is like, and then oftentimes he finds out what, the, what his employees think of him while he's doing that. That show's not a new idea. That's been around for a long time. There's a very, very, very old story. 
about Sir Christopher Wren. Sir Christopher Wren was an architect. He was the man who designed and built St. Paul's Cathedral, one of the most beautiful buildings you would ever see. Absolutely beautiful building. 1675 was when they began construction on St. Paul's Cathedral. And one day, the story goes that Christopher Wren showed up in his everyday, his, his, his everyday clothes. He disguised himself as just a worker. And he went out among the workers who were building the cathedral. And he asked one man, what are you doing? What's your job? And the man said, I'm cutting stone. That's it, just cutting a stone. He asked another man, what's your job? And he said, I am earning five shilling, two pence a day. I'm just here for the money. And then he asked another man, what are you doing? And that man said, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build a beautiful cathedral. I'm helping put a man on the moon. I am making a difference. I am doing my part. You and I, when we lift up Christ together through the way that we serve, through the way that we care for each other, through the way that we bless each other, it is essential that each one of us can say, I am doing my part. Together, each accomplishes more. And together, we lift up Jesus. It is essential that we see that. Together, we lift up Jesus. You know, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Verse 1 begins with a complaint. The Hellenistic widows were being overlooked. Verse 1 begins with a complaint. Let me assure you, it does not have to begin with a complaint. <laughs> we don't have to start there. It can begin with the, the simple awareness. Here's something that needs to be done. Here's a, here's a job that I see that, that somebody could be doing. And then it begins with the question, can I help? Could I help do that? Could I do that? Now let me just go ahead and answer it for you now. Yes. Yes, you can. We would love to have you help. And the call is simple. Together, we lift up Jesus. We lift Him up as we worship together. You lift up Jesus as you make coffee in the other room. You lift up Jesus as you wash windows out there. You lift up Jesus as you greet the visitors that we have to our church. You lift up Jesus as you share a meal with somebody who's in need right now. Somebody who we need to take care of. The reality is the way that you lift up Jesus is not going to look the same as the way that anyone else lifts up Jesus. But that has never been the point. The point is that together, each accomplishes more. And so let's lift up Jesus together. I like that imagery of just lifting up Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. And I think it's so important that we catch that vision, that we understand that we are here to lift up Jesus. We're here to make Him known. We, come to, we go to our neighbors. We, we, we do things for our neighborhood. We, we do things for our friends. It's not to lift me up. It's not to lift you up. It's not even to lift up Kansas Christian Church. We're just going to lift up Jesus. Because in that is the promise that He will draw people to Him. Here in a moment, we're going to take communion. It's an opportunity for us to commit ourselves again this week to who he is and to what he promises it's an opportunity for us to remember that we do this together and in doing this together we uh, we lift up christ together i'm going to pray we're going to sing a song here in a moment and we'll take communion together let's pray
Father, we love you. We thank you for your call. We thank you for the promise that we have that together we can lift up your son. We thank you for those that serve and those that bless. And Father, there, there are so many opportunities around us. And so would you just lay on our heart? Well, first of all, would you open our eyes to those opportunities? Seeing the things that, that need to be done in our church and in our community, in our fellowship. And Father, will you just open up our heart to say, can I help? Is there something I can do? It could be so simple, and yet it would be such a huge help. So, Father, I ask that you open us up to that and help us to see that it's not just about the job that needs to be done. It's about a heart that desires to lift up your son and that together each accomplishes more. Together we lift him up all the more. Thank you for this, for this bread. Thank you for this cup. Thank you that they are reminders that when he was lifted up on the cross, he drew people to him. Help us to continue to lift him up in our lives, in our hearts, and in our service. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.